everyone, and welcome to our debate with candidates running for Moab City Council. I'm Molly Marcello with KZMU. I'll be moderating this evening. This program was put together by KZMU and the League of Women Voters of Southeast Utah. We are broadcasting live on the radio from the Grand County Public Library. Thank you to the amazing folks at the library. They are truly amazing for making this possible. Audio from this event will be available on KZMU's website and podcasts later this week. But first, uh, we're going to start off with a few words from Carrie Dabney with the League of Women Voters. Great. Thank you. On behalf of everyone um, with the League of Women Voters and KZMU, I'd like to welcome you to the Candidates Forum. Um, we've been partnering with KZMU for several years now. And we really could not do this without their outstanding assistance. Um, they are fun to work with. Before we begin, I want to draw your attention to the postcard on your chair. Everybody should have gotten one of these. Um, the National League of Women Voters has a website called Vote411, where you can go. You can click on your state, any state in the, in the nation. Click on your local races and get information about what's going on. Um, it includes who's running. Um, our candidates have filled out a vote 411 voter guide questionnaire, so that'll be up there in the next couple of days. Um, and you can also check your voter registration and, and register to vote. So it's sort of a one-stop shop. And the reason I bring it up is that it is available across all 50 states and with you know voting and registering to vote um, being such a hot topic now. Tell your friends and family. Um, they can check their registration. They can register to vote online at Vote411. Um, if you want to learn more about us, on the back side of the uh, postcard is our website, lwvseu.org. We do a number of um, get out the vote, a number of um, democracy events and, and studies. And so um, we'd love to have you take a look at it and, and, and get back in touch with us. Um, we also had a Get Out the Vote poster campaign that our candidates have been involved with and other people have. That's going to be on our website tomorrow, the photos of these folks, um, along with on Facebook and uh, at the state and local level. So that's kind of a fun thing that we've been doing. And then finally, I'd like to thank um, our timekeepers, our league ladies, um, Alice Drogan, Jean Binion, the gals that brought the cookies, Ruth Brown and Nan Marquette, Barb Lacey, and, of course, the Grand County Library staff. Um, we couldn't do it without them. So I hope you get a lot of good information this evening, and, and thank you all for turning out. Amazing. Thank you, Carrie. Thank you. Thank you, League of Women Voters, and thank you, candidates, for being with us. There are five people here running for three open seats on the Moab City Council. That means three of these candidates will be the next decision makers for Moab City. And it's up to you listeners and voters to decide who would best represent you for the next four years. So we're going to start off with some quick introductions from the candidates. Um, candidates, we are asking you to introduce yourself and tell us why you love Moab and want to work for the city and its residents. Brad, will you kick us off and go in reverse alphabetical order? Thank you. I'm Brad Woodford. I love Moab for the beautiful landscape surrounding us, the access, the outdoor recreation, the community events, and the people who call this place home. I know I feel lucky to call this place my home. I want to work for the residents of Moab to ensure the city priorities these five things. Being prepared for extreme weather events, supporting our small businesses, creating housing for people trying to make Moab their home, monitoring, conserving, and protecting our water resources, and lastly, to make sure our families and our kids are taken care of. Thanks. Thank you, everybody, for being here, and thanks to the League of Women Voters and to KZMU, and especially thanks to all of you for being engaged in this process. It means a lot to see all these faces here. My name's Colin Topper. The reason I'm standing here in front of you right now is because 25 years ago when I moved here, these 25 years have been full of open doors and opportunities, and I want to make sure that those open doors and opportunities as much as possible are still available to people in this community and to people still to come to this community. So thank you so much for having us here tonight. Thank you. My name is Patrick Robbins, and I want to thank you to the League of Women Voters and KMUZ Radio and to all you folks that have come out and listening on the radio today. Um, I love Moab because I was raised here. When I moved here from 1973 as a young child, 
I came from Los Angeles. What a culture shock. I had hair clear down to here and a skateboard in a hand, and I was the weirdo on the block. So I just, I, there are people, my supporters, some of the supporters who wanted me to run don't feel like they have a voice, and I want to be a bridge for them so that they will trust in our local government. My name is Caitlin Myers, and I love MOA because it's a place where you can just be a human being and enjoy human experience as an individual person. A lot of bigger places and other places you feel anonymous or you feel like a statistic. And here it's a place where I can wear glitter. I can find young, uh, young opportunities as a professional. Um, and no matter who you are or, or what struggles you have, uh, you have a community that's there to support you and to say hi to you at the grocery store. So I'm running for city council to represent real people people that are living and working and contributing to Moab, and I want to give them a voice. Thank you. Thank you. Tani. Thank you all for coming tonight, and thank the League of Women Voters and KZMU for giving us this opportunity. It's kind of like, doesn't feel like an opportunity. (laughs) (laughs) I love Moab because I love the people here. Even if we have different perspectives and different ideas, we come together as a community like no place I have ever lived. Thank you. Thank you, candidates. I will now take a minute to explain how tonight's event will work. Our questions have been submitted and sourced from the community, and candidates will be under time limits when answering each question. Our timekeepers, Alice and Jean, are here, and candidates will have 90 seconds to respond to each question. When they have 10 seconds remaining, our timekeepers will hold up a sign that says 10 seconds, And when candidates have reached their time, um, our timekeepers will ring that little bell. (laughs) Thank you, Jean. At that point, candidates can finish their sentence but should not start a new one. Um, We ask that our small live audience keep a respectful silence after each candidate speaks, reserving applause until the end of the event. We'll have a great applause section. Um, As a reminder, we are here to participate in an important exercise in democracy, and we do aim to treat everyone in this space with fairness and equity. Candidates will be answering questions in rotating alphabetical order. So following that alphabet, Tani, Knudsen Boyd, you are up first. Caitlin Myers, uh, you're on deck. So this first question is related to Main Street, which has made local news recently due to concerns over its declining visual appeal and infrastructure. Because Main Street is also Highway 191, traffic and congestion can pose safety issues, especially for pedestrians and people on bikes. Realistically, what can you as an elected city council member do to address these different but interrelated concerns? And if elected, how would you produce concrete improvements downtown that are wanted by both residents and businesses? Thank you. That's, that's a loaded question. Main Street is a challenge, to say the least. Um, I think that there are many things that we can do. One of those things that we can do to help beautify Main Street, make it safer, is we have got to build a stable, solid relationship with UDOT. We We have worked on that relationship over the past few years, and we have made some headway. I am all for reducing the speed limits downtown. I am, I think it would be an incredible investment in our community to install medians and traffic calming devices. This may not be terribly popular, but to remove some of the parking from Main Street, possibly do it the way that they've done it in Grand Junction with parking on one side and no parking on the other, make our sidewalks a little wider, and just just slow things down. And make sure that our our bike trails and our bike lanes and our bike routes pedestrian routes are well signed and easy to follow and easy to navigate Um, we have to have buy-in from the community Um, there are lots and lots of different ideas about what can be done and how it should be done but we have to we have to plan and we have to come together and agree to get the plan done Thank you, Tani. Caitlin, and candidates, I can repeat any question, too. I think that one was a mouthful, so I got it. Okay. Um, 
So from my perspective, I think there are a few things that we need to do. We need to focus on pedestrian safety, particularly making sure that our sidewalks and our infrastructure is accessible for folks with different needs or for our elderly, making sure that it's safe and easy to get around, making sure our kids can use the bike paths and our infrastructure to get to school. I use the bike path to get to work every day. Um, but I think beyond that, the city next year is about to do a municipal code update, and I think that there's a lot to be done to improve our parking code, to improve our commercial and mixed use codes to allow for our businesses to be able to uh, redevelop and to beautify their own spaces. I think that that's really hard within our existing code. Um, and I also think that we need to see a little bit of a balance with the way that we treat our infrastructure for Main Street. I know that that's a big conversation right now, but what I'm also hearing from a lot of people in the community is that people also want to see infrastructure be prioritized in their neighborhoods. We have a lot of roads and water and sewer and other pedestrian infrastructure outside of downtown that needs a lot of attention. So I, I want to prioritize that as well and balance both investing in our, our community and our economic driver, which is downtown Main Street, but also making sure we're prioritizing locals. Um, and finally, I, I do want to see within downtown Main Street that we are continuing to um, look at ways to improve our parking. We're about to start dispersed parking, but I think looking at ways to take parking off Main Street or to charge for parking so that we are um, incentivizing people using our, our side streets and getting around either uh, in other ways. Thanks. Thank you, Caitlin. Patrick. What a great topic. Um, First of all, I've already started doing something. I have developed a relationship with Chief Bell. I like Chief Bell. We've talked on several occasions already. You might notice that traffic enforcement has stepped up over the last month. Left truck lane is being enforced now. We're under Chief Garcia. It was not enforced. As a matter of fact, officers were told that the citations weren't to be issued for parking and that those white signs with black letters at the end of town saying trucks left lane only was a courtesy. Well, that's not true. That's a, uh, that's a regulatory sign, and you can write citations on that. But another, another option I think that we need to look at, this town has been trying to get a bypass for some 20 years, when you go to UDOT and try to get matching funds, they, they usually only will fund about 35 to 40% of a project. This would be new federal highway, and we need to explore other ways to get that done where it doesn't cost the citizens of Moab matching funds to make it more affordable. Several occasions, they'd come up with plans, and it was just not affordable, even with the county and the city together. So uh, my extensive experience with the Department, U.S. Department of Transportation, Caltrans, UDOT, MDOT across this country when I was a safety manager for Western Express, I have a working relationship with several individuals already. We need to push forward and get that done. Thank you. Thank you, Patrick. Colin. Our downtown area, Main Street Moab, has so much potential, not only as our economic engine, which it is, and especially in a town with, that relies almost solely on sales tax, uh, but also as a community center, a place where we can gather, too, a place, something that we would all be proud of. And the function of Main Street right now, as I see it, is prioritizing just getting traffic through Main Street and through our town as fast and efficiently as possible. I want to change that whole paradigm. I want to turn that upside down and prioritize pedestrian safety and infrastructure. I want to prioritize uh, a gathering space for locals. I want to prioritize business downtown businesses flourishing in a welcoming and inviting environment and to do this i mean there's some really low-hanging fruit and it, it all starts with working with udot of course but speeds medians uh left turn signals pedestrian safety crosswalks everything that goes along with that to make this downtown really something that we can all be proud of and something a place where all those downtown businesses will flourish and a place that will be inviting to all of us. Thank you. Thank you, Colin. Brad? I think a lot of them have said a lot of my ideas, so it might be a little bit of a repeat. But, yes, I think working on a relationship with UDOT and, and shoring that up and trying to get a few things done, such as left turn signals, slowing down trucks, uh, I think that would be great. I think there's still money out there from the bipartisan infrastructure law and also the Inflation Reduction Act, and we need to go after those grants because I know we talk about wanting to prioritize and do this, but when we 
prioritize and do this, we have to figure out how we're going to fund that. And I do think that we're going to need grants to do that. And we need to very focus on getting those. And I know there's another grant coming out for sidewalks. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but that would also go under uh, this type of thing. We need to prioritize a way to get from east to west for pedestrians that is safe and efficient. It's been a shame that the bike path has been closed for over a year. And they said we were waiting for money to clear it out after a large storm, but any other storm, we would have had it cleared out, and they cleared it out right before runoff when we all knew it was about to be flooded there again. So I really want to make sure that our kids have a way, because we have schools on both sides, that they can get across Main Street without having to go across the street, and they need to be able to walk across it or walk underneath it. Uh, I think we also need to look at our overhead and figure out a way to put more money into our uh, public works crews because another consultant and another plan isn't going to pave a road or fix a sidewalk. It's going to be those people doing the work. Thank you so much, candidates. We're moving on to our next question. This will go to Caitlin Myers first with Patrick Robbins on deck. So last year, the city went through a comprehensive community visioning process that laid the groundwork for their latest strategic plan. And that plan includes a list of priorities from emergency planning to water consumption, infrastructure, noise management, zoning, like the list is very long. If elected, what would you like to accomplish in your time on the city council and how would you do it based on the city's strategic plan? Like what would you prioritize from the plan to take into action? I think the the first thing that I'm really excited about is uh, one, one thing that was listed in the strategic plan that relates to almost everything that we're talking about tonight is a financial sustainability plan, creating a, a long-term financial plan for the city. I think we've all seen that the city is doing a lot of projects, a lot of infrastructure. There have been a lot of new code updates, and all of that feels really disjointed for the public. It's really hard to understand the big picture, especially as we're talking about how to leverage funding, where we need funding. I think that that's something that I'm going to prioritize next year is taking a really long look at our financial position and integrating the community into that conversation. I think Walnut Lane and housing will continue to be a priority for me, um, particularly in light of last week, them uh, saying no to the developer that they had been talking to for a few months. That needs to be a priority. That's uh, Housing is definitely in the uh, visioning process and is a priority for me. Um, and I also really want to work on proactive enforcement. I think that taking care of our, our community and making sure that we are um, supporting our law enforcement and giving them the tools they need not to just go based on a complaint-based system, but to turn that on its head and um, take citizens out of that equation a little bit more, make it a little more anonymous to protect them and to work a little bit more on um, cleaning up our neighborhoods and doing more enforcement of narcotics and um, other major issues that the law enforcement officers are seeing. Thanks. Thank you, Caitlin. Patrick. I have been attending city council meetings now since the first part of June, early June. I have looked over the strategic plan, and I wasn't there when it was developed, so I don't know exactly all of the things that went into it. However, they have the water sustainability plan that they've looked at, and I see several several errors that I things I consider errors uh, when you're talking about uh, folks, older folks, and people on fixed incomes. When these plans come in. There is not a whole lot that some of these folks, some of these folks eat at the Grand Center because that is their main meal of the day because that's what they can afford. I think that we need to do some adjustments and make sure that we're not leaving somebody else behind, our elderly, our disadvantaged, or our lower income people that do manage to live in homes or family left for them so that they're not overlooked. And my commitment is to make sure that I look out for those people when the strategic plan gets addressed next year. Thank you, Patrick. Colin. And again, candidates, I'm happy to repeat any question. Uh, so for those of you who don't know the strategic plan, the way that it is laid out or illustrated is, so we have a foundation, right? And the foundation is, as laid out by the strategic plan is, is uh, infrastructure, you know, something that creates the foundation for everything else, all these big uh, lofty goals with our planning. And so then on top of that, that, that foundation, 
uh, are then six pillars. But one of the thing that really things that really stood out to me when I was looking through the strategic plan, and Caitlin touched on this, and I will have to agree with her that uh, you know there's a missing pillar, and that's financial responsibility and strategizing. You know, it shows up in little tidbits in some of the other pillars, but I would really like to see that be, you know, maybe we could characterize that as the roof of this structure we're building because that is our guiding policy and everything else that we do really, especially as we're entering into what could be some turbulent times, everything else needs to be obedient to that, that, that policy. So thank you. Thank you, Colin. Brad, you're up. Uh, on the strategic plan, I, I want to echo Colin and Caitlin. I think the financial planning for the long term is absolutely crucial that we do that. Uh, what I do also think is doable that is part of one section in the strategic plan is emergency planning. Uh, I know I was very affected by the flood of 2020, uh, August 20th, 2022. And so I want to make sure that our infrastructure one can handle more events like that. I know there is a lot of check dams up on the east side of town that are getting filled up with silt. One is still not reinforced, even though there is a plan that they are getting that reinforced. And I do think that if a, a rain event like that parked over on the east side of town, there could be a whole lot more damage that would be happening. And I think that's something that shouldn't keep people up at night, but should definitely be on our minds as planners and leaders of the community. And the other thing I would like to get is a flood warning system. Between 2021's rainstorm that landed right in town and the one that made Mill Creek flash almost up to 6,000 CFS, I think with a flood warning system, there is millions of dollars of damage that could have been mitigated if people even had an hour's more time. And I know just from my own personal experience, we were only a half hour away from losing probably potentially numerous people. And so I want to make sure that we don't rely on luck anymore and that we do what we can now proactively to prevent those things from happening. Thanks. Thank you, Brad. Tani. The strategic pl plan is very broad. We could each pick our five favorite projects and talk about them for an hour each. But um, when we did the strategic plan, we came up with six critical areas. And of course, I've lost my own note. Um, but it was housing, um, city capabilities, sustainability, um, and some other ones that I'm not remembering right now. <laughs> but personally, I think that our, our infrastructure in our city is is the most important. We can't create housing if we don't have infrastructure. That doesn't mean that housing isn't important. It is. But we, you, you don't build a house starting at the top. You build a house starting from the bottom. And so you've got to have a good foundation. And the strategic plan gives us a good foundation on a number of levels. And we have to be able to do more than one project at a time. And I would agree with Caitlin that some of these projects seem kind of disjointed and like they don't make a lot of sense. Some of that has to do with where the funding comes from and how it has to be spent and when it has to be spent. And there is a great deal of staff time that goes into um, prioritizing that and figuring out what the best way to complete those projects is. Um, and I would, I would continue to, to just build on that good work. Thank you. Thank you so much, candidates. We are moving right along to our next question. Um, Patrick Robbins, you are up first. Colin Topper, you're on deck. This is, is related to the budget, which I think we've been hinting at um, this last question. So being familiar with and understanding the city budget is an important part of work on the city council. Looking at the city's current fiscal year budget, what is something that concerns you and something that encourages you? So two things. Well, looking at the city's current budget, I haven't had an opportunity to, to look at the budget deeply. I've been looking at expenditures. I think that we need to, um, I'll just give you an example. At the last city council meeting, uh, uh, a bid was approved, and our share of that bid immediately was 280 or 298000 something like that, dollars to clean up the banks and vegetation on Mill Creek. Back when I was raised in this town, it was a guy on a D8. His name was Pogue, and it, it, the county paid his hourly salary, and we fixed it for much less. That's just one example of how we need to be more fiscally responsible. If we are to tackle some of these other plans or programs that we want to find in the strategic plan, we're going to have to find the money for those. I see the handwriting on the wall, and I'm sure some of you out there will agree with me. Federal funding is going to dry up. Then what do we do? Thank you, Patrick. Colin? 
So the city's budget, what concerns me and then what uh, gives me gives me hope for Moab's future. Uh, looking through the budget, what concerns me is that in the last 10 years, you know, so we're a city that relies almost solely on sales tax for running this city. Um, in the last 10 years, our sales tax revenue has almost doubled. And at the same time, we've been growing and growing our city. Um, pretty top heavy at this point. Uh, but to me we need to be planning for and we need to be operating our budget in a way that sets us up really well for turbulent times that we may be entering or may not be entering right now. Um, what really encourages me right now with the budget is I feel like we are, and I've, I've witnessed this over and over in the city council meetings since, since I've been a candidate, we are now prioritizing with the budget and with policy this community over people visiting this community. And I've said time and time again as part of my campaign that when we invest in a community that people can live in and want to live in, people will still want to visit us, people will want to move here, this town and this community will flourish, so. Thank you, Colin. Brad. Uh, one of the things that concerns me in the budget when I was breaking it down uh, is that in they're in water and sewer funds, so the enterprise funds, when they get transferred over to the general fund as overhead, a percentage of administrative salaries are paid through those that are tied to water and sewer. And that makes sense to me. But there is a gap in 2021, it was $384,854. And there is no easy way then to track what happens to that after that. The ones that go to salary, that makes sense to me, but then there is a large chunks of money that go into the general fund that I think we should be more accountable for of exactly how that's going. Because as a counselor, I would like to say we raised water and sewer rates to pay for more infrastructure, and that money that got transferred into the general fund is, under, is in those pipes under X road. And that way, you can be accountable to your constituents. Uh, what's encouraging is that we, we are continuing to grow. So I think we should be saving more for a rainy day and make sure that our fund balance stays well, because also what concerns me is when, and the downtown dispersed parking area, when I hear we can take a million dollars out of the general fund and we'll be fine, uh, what exactly is our rainy day fund? What is our day-to-day -day general fund balance? And, and knowing that we have bigger projects coming up that also could have overruns, uh, that concerns me. Thank you, Brad. Tani, you are up next. Many years ago, when I went to work in county government, I was trying to figure out budgeting and accounting things, and it was just not making any sense to me. And I had a very wise person who has since over the years become a great sounding board and a great friend. He told me, if you are trying to make sense of municipal accounting the way you did in the private sector, stop it. You're going to make your head hurt. He was right. <laughs> it is its own animal. It can't be compared to private sector. Um, accounting. The things that worry me about the budget are that there, there just isn't enough there to, to maintain the level of service that our residents have asked us for. And if, if we cut too much, we are going to end up cutting services, and that's not what we want to do. We want to continue to provide that level of service because people expect it. We have to, um, we do an, a a budget opening mid-year every year so budgeting never really gets finished there there's a, a mid-year budget opening where we reassess what we have spent what what's come in what we need to to change what we need to if we need to pull something pull something from a different fund to cover what we've already done so it's an ongoing process and it it can be confusing thank you Tani Caitlin. The thing that's most concerning to me about the city's budget is that 76% of our revenue is tax-based and particularly is mostly tourism tax-based. It's concerning for me because we're looking at a recession in the next couple of years. A lot of our businesses, city's revenue is generally up this year, but a lot of our businesses are starting to struggle. And I think that that unreliability of having such a large percentage of our revenue be based on other people coming or not coming to town is really challenging. It's really hard 
hard to plan out in the future. Um, something that is encouraging for me and that I'm really excited about is, and something that I want to work on as a council member is to partner with other agencies in our community and to leverage our funds to support organizations, our town, and to spread our money more across the board more. An example of this, looking at the budget back in 2019, looking at our trails fund, uh, Moab City spent uh, $771,000 on the uh, Bike Skills Park and other trail parks along the Mill Creek Pathway. Uh, that was about $200,000 over what they were expecting that year. Um, looking at the budget now, uh, they have transitioned from the city working on a trails project in-house and having their engineers and their staff do that to partnering with an organization like Trail Mix. So the city now contribu contributes $30,000 to Trail Mix uh, each year. And Trail Mix is doing so much more. I think the more that the city can do partnerships and to leverage small funds to support other partners we can do a lot more with our budget. Great. Thank you so much, candidates. If you're just tuning in, this is the 2023 candidate debate with KZMU and the League of Women Voters of Southeast Utah. We are with the five candidates running for three open seats on the Moab City Council. We are asking questions that have been submitted by the community. So our next question goes to Colin Topper first. Brad, you are on deck. Housing. Housing is a struggle in Moab for renters and homeowners. With escalating costs in taxes, rents, utilities, it is as challenging for many homeowners to meet those financial demands as it is for renters to find and keep affordable housing. What are your preferred solutions when it comes to creating or retaining local housing in Moab City? How will you proactively move the needle on this issue if elected? So housing, uh, fundamental to quality of life, affordability, drawing talented folks here, keeping talented folks here. Uh, to me, the city has three roles in housing. The first role is to protect our existing stock from the pressures of overnight rentals. And you do that through monitoring and enforcement. Now here, as I'm knocking on doors, that, you know, that's a lot of concern that people have, that people in their neighborhood houses may be not. So uh, monitoring and enforcement. The second piece is creating and establishing the appropriate legislative framework to both encourage but also to regulate new stock coming into uh, this city, new housing stock, to have a certain amount set aside for workforce or, or affordable housing. And then the third piece of the city's function in housing is to prop up and support all of the organizations and institutions that are designed to operate in that capacity and that are doing such good work right now in our in our city. Uh, there was a second part of that question. Yeah. yeah, how would you proactively move the needle on this issue? What are your preferred solutions when it comes to creating or retaining local housing? So, and then the in closing, I would say that, uh, you know, there is relief coming down the pipes. We have literally hundreds of units in both the city and the county coming down the pipes. At, at this point, it's time to start looking back at the entire process and trying to identify friction points and, and doing what we can at this point to relieve those friction points to make sure that those projects are getting built. Thank you, Colin. Brad? On this issue, I would prioritize pursuing incremental infill while trying to maintain neighborhood integrity. And to me, this means allowing more and different types of housing from apartments and tiny home villages. Uh, we're a unique population that lives here and in many different ways, and some of us permanently, some of us seasonally, and we need to be able to do what works best for us. I, I heard a story of an outfitter in uh, light industrial zoning who, in light industrial zoning, you can have a caretaker on site, but that caretaker got kicked off because he was not in a permanent building and an RV. And I think when that code rewrite goes through that we need to look at things like that, that don't shoot ourselves in the foot on this issue and, and make it harder. So long as that RV was hooked up to gray water and or, or black water um, dumping station, then it should not have been a problem in a zoning like that. Uh, we also need to get more to yes with our community developers that live here and know our community. They need a clear, concise, and consistent process. I have talked to developers who just keep getting their plans sent back and forth, back and forth, and I, I know it's a complicated, hard process, but we need to find a way to streamline that a little bit more for them. Thank you, Brad. Tani. 
housing is critical to any community, especially small rural communities. Um, as rocky as the Walnut Lane project has been, and as slow as it has moved, and as unsure as it still is right now, it was forward thinking and intuitive to buy that property. I know some people will disagree with me on that, but right now it is providing very low and low income, albeit not ideal housing, but it is providing housing for some of the lowest income people in our town. And housing is important for everyone. We talk a lot about workforce housing and housing for families and students. One group that gets left out is 18% of our community, and that's seniors. There are a few units of senior housing if people qualify, um, but there is nowhere for a senior to go that doesn't want to maintain their three-bedroom, two-bath home anymore until they go to the care center. There's no place for active seniors or seniors that are still working. I'm one. And we've got to look at a more holistic view of the property that's available, a, a development that encom encompasses more than one housing type and more than one, more than one demographic. I spoke with a senior disabled vet the other day, and all he wanted from us is food on the table, a roof over his head that didn't cost $1,000. He pointed to his plate and he pointed to his friends and said, I've got the two. Thank you, Tani. Caitlin. I think there's a lot that we need to be doing um, when it comes to housing. And in my day job, I'm actually the director of an affordable housing nonprofit here in town. I've, and I've been working on this issue the entire time I've been in the community. I think we do need to keep building and building out our stock of housing. And I, I agree with a lot of, you know, senior housing. We need more housing options. 59% of houses of our housing stock in Moab is single family homes. We need smaller options for people to be able to age in place. We need seasonal employee housing. We need housing that's neuro-inclusive and is going to be able to, to serve uh, folks with disabilities or multi-generation households or young professionals. Uh, we just need a greater variety and right now we're only focusing on a couple of types and there are so many more things we can do to support our supply. As we do that we need to continue to preserve our housing for locals both new housing and, and starting to build on our existing housing stock protecting those for the people that live and work here and we need to make sure that our house, housing is going to be climate resilient and that people are going to be able to um, afford their energy bills. City needs to do a lot more to uh, support our residents that are on fixed incomes that are dealing with cost increases and we need to find ways to support energy efficiency programs for them. And finally, we do need to support Walnut Lane. Um, as a former staff member, I haven't really seen the city do much since I left the city almost three years ago. And so that is a top priority for me, is making sure that those residents are taken care of and that that project finally gets off the ground. Thank you, Caitlin. Patrick. Well, I think the first thing that we can do is stop making housing for seniors and service workers unaffordable by increasing or increasing the property tax or into in, uh, instituting a property tax. I think that's the biggest thing we can do to begin with. When you're talking on one hand, let's make housing more affordable, and then you start talking about raising property taxes, and you talk, start uh, doing water sustainability that increases their costs there. Um, you know, this town is three miles by three miles, folks. You can only cut that pie up in so many pieces. At some point, we're going to reach a, the level where there is no more space for housing. What are we going to do? I haven't heard any suggestions about beyond that. Not only that, we've got to take into account third-generational people that live here that are worried about being able to afford their taxes as they continue to increase. We need to look at innovative ways and look outside of the box that we've just been looking at. Caitlin did a wonderful job at the last city council meeting. And basically her, her presentation shows that you must have $150,000 to be able to qualify for a mortgage of the average price of a house that's available in Moab today. Even two people working at city market or three or four are not going to meet that threshold. And subsidies, folks, to get these people in the house is going to cost you and I. And that is not sustainable. Thank you to all candidates. Moving right along, flying by. Thank you so much. Everybody doing okay? All right, vibe check, okay. Um, our next question goes to candidate Brad Woodford first. Um, candidate Tawny Knudsen-Void is on deck and it's related to water. 
Moab City depends on groundwater. What will you do to ensure we won't run out? Do you favor conservation and aquifer protection, developing other water resources or some other option or combination? If elected, how do you plan to stay informed on the Valley's water availability and how can residents expect that to influence your decision making? Uh, so in my campaign, I, I've been using the three words, monitor, conserve, and protect. I, I think the first step of that question is is continuing to monitor. I was at a, um, I'm, I'm forgetting the acronym of the meeting, it's the uh, Moab Watershed uh, meeting, and they were talking about all the different monitoring that is starting to go on, and that's increasing, and I think that's a good thing. I think going to the water workshops that's been put on between the city and county has been super educational and enlightening, uh, and I think... Mark Stilson from the Division of Water Rights uh, has said it best when if you keep people at the table and keep people talking, it's much more likely that you stay out of the courtroom. And I think that's where we need to be, especially with our partners down in San Juan County. We need to develop a relationship and, and look at what we have realistically moving forward. Because if we don't make proactive decisions on what's going to happen with our water, Mother Nature is going to make those decisions for us and it would put us in a much probably worse situation. So I think we need to add conservation measures. I know we've put in the landscape ordinance and I think that's a good first step but I think there is definitely more creative ways to conserve our water and we need to protect our water from our top of our watershed in the mountains down to the wetlands uh, where uh, there's a brine layer down there that if something happens upstream that could affect it down there and that would affect all of us here in the valley and so I think this is a is one of the most crucial issues that's going to be facing us in the future. Okay. Thank you Brad. Tawny. I kind of combined climate change and water because they are they go hand in hand. Um, denying that the former is happening and pushing off projects that will increase our resiliency and our sustainability is just creating generational inequity. We're just handing that off to the next generation. So we have to do projects now that are proactive. Um, we have to doing it, and, and I am a firm believer that. If each one of us does a little bit, we can accomplish a lot. If we do an audit in our own home of our water and our energy use, that is very helpful to inform us individually how we need to proceed to live within our means. On a, on a larger scale, I think the landscape ordinance was a really good first step. It's not ideal. It doesn't solve all of our problems. But it's a, it is a good step to um, monitor how we use water outdoors. Water and fertile ground in the western U.S. have been contentious since long before Europeans came here. Um, again, like Brad said, this work needs to be cooperative with all the different agencies, districts, and users and build solid working relationships with these groups. T trust, respect, and open communication is paramount. And I do support the new water tank that we have planned. There is a, a new SCADA system on our capital improvements list. And that is an expensive system, and I've run out of time. <laughs> Thank you, Tani. Caitlin. So I'm going to agree with Tani. Water is a huge issue for me as a young person, as a person that wants to have a family. It's uh, as, as the climate continues to change and we start to see more uh, extreme weather and more droughts in our community, that, that is hugely impactful for young people in this town. Well, really everyone in this town, but um, it's something that we need to address today so that we can have water for tomorrow. Um, I think the city needs to look at our own infrastructure first and look at ways in which as we're continuing to do new infrastructure projects, making sure that we are planning for uh, irrigation, you know, secondary irrigation water or other infrastructure, making sure that um, we are building out ways to support water use. Um, I don't think we can rely on the Colorado River. Um, I think that we need to look at solutions to conserve and protect our existing water sources exactly as they are. And we as community members need to be looking at our own water usage. City needs to be looking at its own water usage within its facilities. Um, I think the landscaping ordinance was a great first step. And I think that uh, with the, the water studies, regardless of what the safe yield number is, we know that that is a limit to growth and we need to be protective of our resources, making sure that we are building for community with those resources. 
Um, in terms of staying informed, I think that water water's a newer subject for me. Um, I think that there are a lot of people in this room and in this community that know a lot about water, and we as council members need to be listening to their expertise moving forward. Thank you, Caitlin. Patrick? This is a really good subject. Um, first of all, I have a little bit of some advantage over some of the other people in this room because I was living here back in the 70s and it tends to be that moab has a drought situation that comes up about every 10 years and our last water study that brought this up as being a big problem was at the end of a 10-year drought we had a good snowpack last year we had plenty of moisture it filled our reservoirs back up Um, i'm being told by the people that are supporting me that this is an ongoing thing that has happened back since moab was settled Um, We're in a desert, and I am for conservation. As a matter of fact, my 95-year-old father uh, was involved in the Korean War. He saw the Depression, and he's got a lawn and a flag, and he was upset that he had to get rid of his high-water consumption lawn. Well, we let it die this summer. I moved him more towards the center to be accepting of the conservation. I just think there's a mix where we don't leave people behind. The landscaping ordinance, I have serious problems with certain areas of that because it doesn't take into consideration our elderly and our our people that are less advantaged and don't have as much money. I would just like to see us work better with the community and with experts and look and draw upon some of our past histories to make sure we're not knee-jerking and being environmental extremists. Thank you. Thank you, Patrick. Colin? Uh, I'm going to disagree with Patrick there that water is something we absolutely need to be thinking about and need to be taking some big, bold, proactive steps, even as all these wonderful studies are happening right now, trying to quantify our water resource. While this is happening, we need to be taking the big steps. And with the water conservation plan that then informed the the, uh, landscaping ordinance, I'm very supportive of those efforts. There's still a lot of work to be done. Uh, A big component of this is first is community buy-in. And so, you know, we, we have to start right now getting people, getting the whole community involved in this, this effort. Uh, and that, that takes time, but, but we, we need to get that going right now. And then another big complicating factor here is that no matter what we do in the city, we are still just one water user in a whole line coming off the LaSalle's. And so it is absolutely essential that we are working with all the other counties and agencies uh, to come up with a unified front as we move forward in this, uh, you know, drying and warming climate. Thank you, candidates. If you're just tuning in, this is the 2023 candidate debate with KZMU and the League of Women Voters of Southeast Utah. We are with the five candidates running for three open seats on the Moab City Council, and our questions have been submitted by community members. This next question is to Tawny first with Caitlin Myers on deck. This is everyone's favorite subject, property tax. The city's property tax rate is currently set at zero. Increasing that rate from zero has long been pointed to as a potential source of revenue. The city's latest strategic plan outlines a pathway for potential property tax implementation. It includes looking at assets and financial sustainability. If elected, you will likely be discussing and potentially making decisions around this issue. What are your thoughts on a property tax now and what values will you bring to a future discussion on the subject? Oh, nobody wants to be that guy that has to increase the taxes. Nobody wants to be the person that says, it's going to cost you a little bit more. That being said, taxes are not evil. I look, as I look at my tax notice that we all got just the other day, if you own a home or a property, I don't see any taxing entity on that, on that list that is misusing our tax money, that's spending it frivolously, that's squandering money or using it on projects that they shouldn't be. The city wouldn't either. Um, Those entities have not given up their taxing authority. Neither has the city, but we've rendered it virtually useless at 0%. And this is a hard conversation, but it is one worth having in earnest. And a conversation that's worth staying focused on the topic. If there is a good, solid, sustainable, reliable revenue source that doesn't include a small property tax increase, I would love to hear about it. 
When we go looking for, for funding for other projects, there's often a component of a percentage match. Sometimes it's 50-50, sometimes it's 25-75. Um, it just varies. And more and more we look at those funding sources and they ask us what's being contributed locally. They want our people to buy into those projects too. And that's becoming more difficult and more difficult to explain away. Thank you, Tani. Caitlin. The property tax is a big conversation. Moab City hasn't had a property tax since 1992. Our community has changed drastically since then. We have a lot more people coming. The city is generating a lot more revenue in other ways. And, and I think that we need to continue other ways to continue to get funding from our visitors and our people coming to town. Um, I can't make a decision for you on whether or not I'd support a property tax right now because I don't have all the information. I haven't received feedback from constituents. I've read articles. I followed the conversation when property tax was raised in 2021. Um, and I think even since 2021, a lot of conversations and a lot of things have changed about our community. So I don't have that information right now. Um, but what I do know is that I think a lot of people don't feel represented. I think that this, this country was founded on this concept of uh, taxation without representation. And I think that the city needs to figure out better ways to represent and support local people before we can ask them to give more money to the city. I think that we need to follow that practice that our country was founded on um, and really get a lot of feedback and be transparent and honest and patient through that process because this is gonna be a huge change. I also think that property tax is not a yes or no. I think there are so many different variables and so many different pieces and amounts that we need to consider before any of us on this stage can make a black and white yes or no answer. Thanks. Thank you, Caitlin. Patrick. Um, I would like to respectively disagree with Tani. Um, they have th this in 2019, they tried to institute a property tax then. And the excuse was that Brett Edge needed more police officers. They have not had that property tax increase and we have those police officers now and then some, um, Brad, I think you might get your answer to where some of those funds are going to in the general fund. Look, folks, we need to tighten our belts. We need to look very seriously at the money we're spending. I mentioned just a few moments ago repairing the creek banks from the power dam down to the river from that flood, something that cost $1.5 million, something we could do cheaper the old-fashioned way, unless there's something I don't know about. But my commitment to you folks are that we're not going to invest in things like flood warning devices when we have a campground built down where it shouldn't have been built in the first place. Those of us that have been around saw the, the Hecla Bridge wash out, be rebuilt, and wash out again. And the city engineer in the last city council meeting was asked, will the will this $1.5 million by, by Ronnie, will that keep this from happening again? He said, when you have 15 cubic million cubic feet of water coming down this, 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 this creek, it is going to happen again regardless of what we do. We need to be responsible with our spending. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Patrick. Colin. Property tax is a tough one. Uh, so in this moment in time, I would not be supportive of a property tax, but I don't want to take a property tax off the table. Uh, my understanding of the, the, the debate that we're having and, and why we're even talking about a property tax is because a property tax would give us the borrowing power to execute some of the initiatives that I'm putting down in my platform, like fixing our streets, doing these other things. Um, so what I'm trying to do proactively, and and just in general, I think it's, it's a... a a challenging position to just be absolute on anything at this point in the campaign. You know, I think as we're moving forward as a community in these changing times, everything absolutely needs to be on the table, whether we're talking about property tax or downtown or main street, um, all of these things. Uh, so I'm looking at alternatives and trying to be proactive. And so some of the interesting things that I've looked up and, and learned about is one, uh, the opportunity for, you know, for me, a property tax is, is I don't like the way that it, uh, you know, somebody who's been living in a house for 50 years, you know, is all of a sudden seeing their house appreciate 
paid so much and they're getting hit with this huge increase in their bill. You know, for me, a much more equitable way to uh, implement a tax like that would be in a real estate transfer tax, where as long as somebody's not selling their home, not moving on to another home, not benefiting from everything we put into Moab. The second thing, I'm getting the 10 minute or the 10 second, uh, the city of Provo has a, uh, a utility transfer fee. That's another way to pay for infrastructure, something that goes on to your utility fee where we can proportionately. All right. Thank you. <laughs> Candidates, you can finish your sentence. It's okay. So, <laughs> all right, Brad, you're up next. Property tax is a hard, difficult conversation to have. Uh, currently, I'm in the no column, but I, I don't think I could be a forever no. Uh, I do think there are some telling things such as we are the only city in Utah that doesn't have a property tax. And so I, I think of one person told me if we had implemented it 20 years ago, think of all of the projects that we could have leveraged with those funds. And so looking at it as if I was uh, to look back in 2043, am I going to look back and say, I should have done that and we could have gotten this done and that done and, and all the other things. But at the same time, we have just gotten reassessed properties and people's property values or property taxes have doubled. I know that's what happened to mine as well. And so it's a very difficult thing to ask more and more and more, especially when you see that city budget continue to grow and grow and grow through sales tax. But I do think it is, uh, I don't want to take anything off of the table, uh, but currently I am a no on that. Okay. We have time for one more question. Um, our next question will go to Caitlin Myers first with Patrick Robbins on deck. Uh, during last year's visioning process, locals said that they felt like change in Moab is, quote, happening to them and that they wanted their government officials to improve communication with residents. If elected, what can Moab residents expect from you in terms of work ethic, approachability, responsiveness, community involvement? How do you plan to actively engage residents in our local governing process and maintain a dialogue about matters coming before the council? I think community engagement is huge. That's something that I've worked on as, as a city and county staff person, as a, a leader in the housing task force. Um, something that I've learned is that you really have to go out into the community and make information accessible and easy to understand and easy to engage with. Um, I've hosted a number of workshops and community engagement events to receive feedback on housing plans and housing projects moving forward in the community. So I'll bring a lot of those workshop and facilitation skills to the council. Um, something that I'm currently doing that I've heard from a lot of people they're really going to miss about Ronnie is uh, she sends a lot of information out to the public. Um, I'm seeing a lot of head nods uh, for those of you listening online. Um, and that's something that I'm starting to do myself is I'm, I'm doing a council summary and I'm sending those out via email. I'm publishing those on, on my social media. And that's something that I really want to work with Ronnie to help transition that um, as she leaves office. Um, something that I've also talked to constituents about is doing informal town halls, just giving opportunities for, for people to be able to engage with their elected officials. We have our state and congressional representatives come down and do that for us, but we don't see our, our local elected officials do that. Um, and I think that a lot of people just feel really unheard. Um, and so creating spaces for that would be really useful. I also think that we can do uh, regular community surveys just to uh, also on paper digitally solicit that feedback. But um, rather than having directed opportunities, we need to open up the floor. Thank you, Caitlin. Patrick? I believe that communication with, this, with the citizens of Moab has been lacking. The people that are supporting me to run for office feel that their voices are not heard. I've attended city council meetings. I've heard Jason Taylor make some statements and reach out in social media to clarify things that were done on the city council. And thank you for that, Jason. One thing that I'm proposing and I talked to the mayor about is people cannot leave their football games or their soccer games or they've got a baby sick with something to appear at a city council meeting to make a statement to counselors where there's no interaction back and forth or response back to them. We are in an era of technology. I think that we could develop an inexpensive app where somebody could either call, send a message, and it would be heard at a city council meeting. I think enhancing that communication, 
both ways. There could be a push of information out from us, like I'm doing on my social media versus, uh, versus stuff that I see in city councilman meetings. I think we need to multiply that and educate the community and get our constituents behind it. Communication is the key to building consensus. Thank you, Patrick. Colin. As a member of Moab City Council, my plan is to be open, accessible, uh, transparent, and responsive. You know, with uh, a lot of the, the decision-making policy work that we do, you know, the community often feels blindsided uh, because of that lack of engagement. And it's not the community's uh, responsibility to seek out that information. It's our responsibility as the council to make sure that information finds those community members. And I will work really hard to do so. If you haven't explored, the city has an amazing website with so much information. And uh, being a candidate has really opened my eyes to that. And so I, uh, I would like to use that as a, a stepping off point to really uh, engage the community. And, and again, the, uh, the whole idea of you know, our meetings and now wonderfully that they're uh, shown on Zoom and so they're a little bit more accessible to everybody. But it's a really challenging situation for a community member to come and speak at one of the meetings or even to email uh, council people. And so we really need to pro be proactive and be out in the public and out engaging people one on one. Thank you, Colin. Brad. If I'm elected, this would be my primary job. So I feel like I would have the time to try and, and reach out and engage people. This would be my my day-to-day uh, -day doing that. I would love to set up. Uh, I know there's been before like coffee with a counselor or something along those lines. I definitely think uh, on social media, I have always been a lurker and I will continue to be a lurker. I do not think engaging uh, in that usually leads to better outcomes, but I would be happy to to reach out to those people in other ways and have a face-to-face -face conversation because I know it's 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 much harder to uh, spill some of some vitriol and, and disagree vehemently face-to-face uh, -face than it is uh, over a keyboard. Uh, but I think it is on us as, as council people to make sure that we are outward-facing and that we are communicating our plans, and not only our plans, but what is going on. And I agree completely with Caitlin that someone needs to take on uh, up the mantle of Ronnie's email because that thing is amazing. And I definitely would, would love to split that work because I know she puts a ton of time and effort into it. And so I would certainly try to do that, but I would love help from other council members on that as well. So that's it. Thank you, Brad. Tani. These are all great ideas. And we've, all, we've tried them a few times. Sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. I think it is really, really important to stay, to stay in touch with your constituents. There are only five of us. We, we can't talk to all 5,000 of you every week. At one meeting, somebody suggested that we send a postcard to every household before every city meeting. That wouldn't be a big, a big task. That would be a huge task. So I think there's some personal responsibility for the back and forth. You do have to be interested as a community member, and you have to, to watch for those things. But we as counselors can certainly do a much better, better job of communicating and putting things out there. I'm not going to use social media because one of our counselors said, and I will quote, I value my mental health. <laughs> but communications department does have a website, the city website, or the city Facebook page, I'm sorry. And... They put out a lot of really, really good information in a timely manner, and they as staff are accessible. All of our phone numbers as counselors are on the website. They're on every piece of literature that I have given out this year, so please feel free to call. Thank you. Thank you so much, candidates. We are nearing the end of our city council candidate debate with KZMU and the League of Women Voters of Southeast Utah. We are moving on now to closing statements. Closing statements are typically an opportunity for candidates to clarify or expand upon a point. You can also summarize your campaign and why voters should elect you to be a decision maker for the next four years. Candidates have one minute for their closing statement. We will start with Patrick Robbins. Colin Topper is on deck. I can unequivocally say that property taxes are off the table as far as your vote for me. 
the second thing I would like to say is I am representing people who have asked me to run that feel that their voice isn't heard. I agree with Tani. You have to be interested in contacting your city, but they also want a representative that represent their needs and co- can go back to them and explain things to them. I think we need to enhance that. I would appreciate your vote for Moab City Council. Thank you, Patrick. Colin. Thank you. And it's wonderful to see that KZMU is still indeed the voice of this community. I'm so proud to be here tonight in front of all of you. Thank you. Uh, Again, open doors and opportunities. I just want to make sure that this community is still as accessible as it always has been and still as vibrant and inclusive as it it always has been. And uh, this feels like the, the, the proper next step for somebody who's been involved deeply with this community for 25 years. And so thank you so much for listening to me tonight. Thank you, Colin. Brad. I first want to thank KZMU for putting this on and the League of Women Voters. Uh, I think this is a a great thing, and I certainly feel proud and fortunate to be part of this democratic process. Uh, After the flood of August 20th last year that went through a campground, uh, I saw the best of Moab we had from sewer lawyers to UTV business owners. And and after that experience and, and seeing people come out and help me, I want to help the community in the ways that I can. And I, I feel that I've had a, a diverse uh, experience here in Moab, and I, I hope to continue on with that and work for the people in Moab and the place that I call home and that I love. Thanks. Thank you, Brad. Tawny. Thank you, League of Women Voters and KZMU. This has been a lot more fun than I thought it would be. <laughs> My job as a counselor is to listen and to learn. One thing I have learned is our family, our friends, our neighbors, who may see see things from a different perspective, are not the enemy. They don't deserve our wrath or our anger or our ire. If we learn to engage without assumptions and preconceived notions or ideas, we often find that we have more in common than we thought at first. We more than likely want the same things for our families, our communities, and each other. Compromise is not a four-letter word. It isn't giving in. It's not giving up. It's being able to change one's mind and make a different decision when new information or evidence is presented. I remember the path that I took to get here. I was a young military mom. I was a young single mom. I worked three jobs to hold things together. I've helped create a lifelong partnership and... I won't forget that I represent you all. Thank you, Tani. Caitlin. Thank you to everyone coming here tonight and for listening online. Um, Also, thanks to my parents for listening in and for KZMU for hosting and being able to broadcast this to our community. Thank you to the league for hosting. Um, I've always really enjoyed coming to this event and learning about the candidates, so I hope you all learned something about us today that can help you fill out your ballots as they come out this week. Um, I'm running for city council because I want to address our housing crisis. I want to represent real people that are living and working and trying to make a life here. And I want to bring balance and proactive work into the way that we grow. Uh, Living in Moab is really challenging these days, whether you've been here six months or 60 years. Uh, Cost of admission to a good life here is is really high, and it's out of reach for a lot of people. I've been very privileged to get a house and a job and have community uh, so young and so early into my time in Moab. And so I'm running to create those opportunities and keep those doors open for people that come after me. So thanks again for coming tonight. Thank you, candidates, for participating tonight. Public discourse is not easy, but it's very important, and we thank you. Uh, We will now ask our live audience for a round of applause for these candidates. Thank you. Before we go, a couple things. We want to thank the Grand County Public Library for hosting us this evening and the League of Women Voters for your support and volunteers. To those listening at home, thank you for participating in our uh, local election process. If you missed any of this event or just want to listen later, the recording will be on our website, kzmu.org, and on our news and public affairs podcasts. Election day is Tuesday, November 21st. Registered voters should be receiving their ballot by mail this week. As we said at the top of the program, you still have time to register to vote. You can go to vote.utah.gov 
or in person at the Greene County Clerk's Office, 125 East Center Street. One more thank you to KZMU staff and volunteers who made this event happen. Sarah Mead on engineering and Kit Grant in the studio. Thank you so much. Uh, we're going to pass it back to our studio now, high atop Rocky Road, to get back to some music. <laughs>